Welcome to the Fisher and Phillips Wage and Hour podcast. This is a podcast that explores questions and ideas associated with employers' desire to pay employees properly. My name is Haygood Ty, and I have the pleasure of serving as co-chair of the Fisher and Phillips Wage and Hour Practice Group. Today, we are joined by two of my fellow lawyers here at Fisher and Phillips, who spend a lot of their time working with healthcare clients and specifically focusing on wage and hour issues. I'm joined by Megan James. Megan is in our Fort Lauderdale office, and she is a member of both the Wage and Hour Practice Group and our Healthcare Industry Practice Group. And Julia Sherwood is joining us from our San Diego office. Like Megan, she also spends a lot of time with healthcare clients and addressing their wage and hour issues and is also members of our wage and hour practice group and our healthcare industry practice group. So we're excited to have them. Megan, to get this started off, maybe tell us what's going on generally with the Department of Labor lately and how does that connect with the healthcare industry? Thanks, Megan. Excited to be here. To start off, let's go back a little bit. So 2021, the Department of Labor announced a healthcare industry initiative, meaning they were going to put greater focus on wage and hour violations and investigations in the healthcare industry. That seems to have flown below the radar of a lot of the healthcare clients because they're saying, oh, yeah, the Department of Labor doesn't really investigate anyone. You know, everyone's doing it the same way. They are investigating. At the end of 2022, the Department of Labor put out a press release that said, of the investigations they've done in the last year or so, over 80% of those investigations, they found something wrong, that the healthcare employer was violating a wage and hour concern, whether it's overtime, minimum wage, et cetera. So it's definitely ramped up in investigations, and that 80% figure is really high in terms of a percentage of violations compared to the last couple decades. Well, that's interesting. Well, when you look at what it is the Department of Labor seems to be focusing on in the healthcare industry, are there any particular areas of concern that we should be talking about? Right. So real big picture. On the one hand, they're looking at people who are classified as independent contractors or 1099s, to use more common language, who are actually employees. So they say, you know, this caregiver that you've got working in home health, they're paying them on 1099, but you really have so much control and other factors that go into that test over them that they should have been an employee. They should have been getting time and a half for the hours over 40. That's one side of it. The other side is failure to pay overtime. And that's kind of a two piece problem, right? One is you got somebody you classified as exempt, meaning they wouldn't normally get overtime for hours over 40. And yet, they should have been getting overtime because you figured out the exception wrong, right? So a classic example of that is you've got a LPN as your floor manager and your LPN typically is not exempt even though they're paid on a salary, but they're a manager. So they might be exempt if they're supervising two or more people. It's a more complicated test than that, but generally. But now with staffing issues, your LPN floor manager is taking patients and doing work that she wouldn't have otherwise had to do. And that may mean that she no longer qualifies as a manager, according to the Department of Labor, and that it should have been getting overtime for that time frame. That's one part of it. Second part is, uh, and Julia will talk about this more, 
when you have shift differentials or bonuses or incentives that are being paid, but those aren't being calculated into or factored into the overtime rate properly. And then you've got someone who got paid overtime, but didn't get paid enough overtime, according to the Department of Labor. Well, thanks, Megan. Now, Julia, she mentioned overtime just now. When we think about calculating overtime in any industry, one of the things we've got to look at is the regular rate. So maybe give us just a quick reminder of what the regular rate is and how that might impact healthcare employers. Sure. So the regular rate, as you said, commonly comes up with overtime payments as it is the rate at which overtime payments must be paid. So if an employee works over 40 hours in a week, overtime pay must be paid at one and a half times the regular rate of pay. So we need to know what that means. So the regular rate of pay is defined as all remuneration earned during employment, including shift differentials, non-discretionary bonuses, and commissions. Importantly, there are some exemptions in certain circumstances under the FLSA, such as for gifts, vacation or holiday pay, reimbursement, discretionary bonuses, employer contributions to retirement plans, and stock options. And so before you immediately assume that those are an exemption, you need to speak with your employment counsel to further analyze whether the exemption applies. So when we're looking at the regular rate, we need to be sure we're including all of these incentives and other payments in or we risk what Megan described earlier as maybe paying overtime, but not paying enough overtime and finding ourselves in violation of the federal law and perhaps in some states, state law. I got that right, Julia? That's correct. So we're talking about non-exempt or hourly employees and being sure we're paying them properly. One of the issues that I have heard can be an issue in the healthcare industry is travel time. Have you seen that as a concern that healthcare employers need to think through? Definitely. So travel time commonly comes up with healthcare employers. The important thing that healthcare employers need to look at is whether travel time is compensable versus non-compensable. So compensable travel time is travel that's required while carrying out work duties. For example, healthcare employers could have employees who travel to multiple facilities during their workday. This travel could entail going from one medical facility to another, or even visiting patients at home. So our healthcare employers, some have home health clients. And so in particular, they're affected by this travel issue where they have field nurses visiting patients at their home and completing multiple patient visits per day. So in terms of what is considered non-compensable travel time, that's the flip side. So that's ordinary travel time from the employer's home to the work location at the beginning of the day and then ordinary travel time back home after the work day. I think the general rule is, is that once they start their work day, if they've got to move from location to location, all of that time is going to be compensable. But I sometimes hear that there are employers who try to only pay, for example, a healthcare worker for the time they spend at each home but not for the travel time. And if that happens, they risk a violation. Right, Julia? Right. So for example, home health workers, if they're traveling from home to the first patient visit, that's not compensable. But if the worker is required to come into the employer's office uh, before their first patient visit, then the travel from the employer's office to the first patient visit would be compensable. 
people, right? You know, this travel time issue is something that for all industries can be complicated. And if you as an employer out there don't have a travel time policy and haven't trained your supervisors and managers on it, that may be something you want to follow up with Julia and Megan about after listening to this. Now, Julia, some of the things you and Megan have brought up raise the possibility, I guess, of potential violations of the law if you have an investigation conducted by the Department of Labor. Are there certain risks you think we need to be talking about if that were to happen? Definitely. In the event the DOL does come knocking, there are several noncompliance risks that can include payment of back wages to employers for wage and hour violations. It can also include civil money penalties up to $2,000 per person for repeated and willful violations. Employers also need to think about the two-year statute of limitations for a private attorney to bring a lawsuit, and that is extended to three years for willful violations. There's also court-ordered compliance in the future, and employers could be held in contempt of court for later violations. And there's also manager liability as well. So there's a lot of things for healthcare employers to keep in mind, and there's a lot of risks for noncompliance. I'll just jump in right here for a second. I was spending some time on the Department of Labor's press releases, and we like to say what you risk is back wages and then double the back wages as liquidated damages. But when Julia mentioned civil monetary penalties, there's actually a few awards in July of this year against healthcare employers for saying that they knew they were willfully avoiding overtime. And so they levied civil monetary penalties in addition to the standard back wages and liquidated damages. Well, Megan, that's a great point. I know that I've seen under this administration, particularly that with the Department of Labor, you're very likely to see civil money penalties being assessed as well as liquidated damages. You know, that's not the experience we've had under administrations in the past except for the most egregious situations. Well, I want to thank Julia Sherwood and Megan James for joining us today. We appreciate you being here and sharing your information with us. If anyone has additional questions, feel free to follow up with either Julia or Megan, and they would be happy to help you. I would also encourage you to take a look at the FisherPhillips.com website. On there, you can sign up for our newsletters and insights. You can also sign up for alerts on changes in the law. Additionally, on the Wage and Hour Practice Group page, there is a significant amount of free information and resources designed to help employers be sure that they're paying their employees properly. I hope everybody has a great day and thank you for joining us. This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation. Thank you.